Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just close calls. These are first-hand accounts of what people experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring another realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person that we interview and many of us listeners believe these accounts to be undeniably true experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos every week of people sharing their NDE stories. Hello, my name is Darren Schneebarger, and I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is my near-death experience. This was 2018, Mother's Day, and sometimes this just gets emotional for me, so I'm going to try not to get emotional. Anyways, it was Mother's Day, 2018. So it was an ordinary day. I was at the car lot. I was on top of my game. It was the 13th of May, and I had put out um, 11 cars, and I had three in the box. That means three more deals that were in the box. So it was a, it was a good month, and uh, I was leading the board. I was loving it. Anyhow, I had went home for the day, and we were closing, and uh, my, my car that I owned was in the shop, so I asked the boss if I could borrow a car. So I said, yeah, and I borrowed this Dodge Challenger. Uh, SRT8, the 6.2, and it was cool. Anyhow, I drove that home, and I went by a couple of friends' house was showing them off this car, because it was bad. Anyhow, I went to my house, and I picked up a, a friend of mine came by, and um, he was he was like checking out the car stuff, and he's like, let's go to the casino. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we go to the casino. And like I said, I've been going hard for a long time. And anyhow, that's crazy. I go to the casino and um, we'll be we stopped by some people's houses. When we get to the casino, I get two jackpots. Boom, boom. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I run into a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine, and uh, we're all hanging out and stuff. And anyways, we go down this. I remember my friend, he's like, man, you're the luckiest dude in the world. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and uh, I go down, we go down the road a ways and I'm at his hotel. And 
sitting there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it feels like someone hit me with a uh, fast sword, stuck right in my chest, like, just like, bam. And it doubled me over, and I'm like, oh, God. And I, I can't, I don't, I'm like, something's, something's happening. I don't know what it is, but uh, I can tell that it's serious. So, and they think I'm playing around. I'm like, I'm not playing around, man. And, I, and I'm like, crumpled over and stuff. And I start running down and I'm like trying to find uh, my friend, Nick. I'm like, and they're trying to hold me back. And they're like, okay, they realize something's wrong. And they're like, call 911, call 911. <laughs> and uh, I did my buddy and I grabbed him by his shirt. And I was like, you get me to the hospital, you know, screw 911. And so we run, we jump in the car and I, I throw him the keys and we get in the car. And I'm like, he drives like this hazard. I mean, we're like, oh, we're flying through the streets and stuff. And we get there and it's a record time. Anyways, when we got there, I opened the door to get out and my legs didn't work anymore. And I smacked my head on the concrete really hard because I went to get out and uh, my, half of my body didn't work. And so um, I remember telling my friend Nick, like, Oh my God, I'm dying, I'm dying. And he runs over to me, he's like, you're not dying, you're not dying. And I'm like, and every time I tried to talk, it was like the air was coming out of my breath, out, out of my, like there was a vacuum above my mouth, sucking the air out of me, because I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he, he was like, you're not dying. And he runs in and as soon as I, I hear him run inside, he's like, I need help out here, my friend's dying. <laughs> and he runs back out and I was like, I told you I was dying. And yeah, so, they, they run and they, you know, the pyramid or the, the hospital staff, they come out with a gurney, they pick me up and uh, they're cutting off the clothes on me, on me and stuff. And everything's starting to kind of just spin out of control on me. And uh, I remember I, I gave Nick my phone and wallet and stuff. And I said, call my family and they're pushing me off. And I was like, and I said, tell my son, I'll be back. And he was like, okay, you know, they, no one, we didn't know what was going on with me. And they start rushing me down the hall. And I can remember him saying, I remember him yelling, code blue, we're losing it, code blue, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dying. I, I'm actually, it's, my time's coming, you know, and I'm freaking out. And I, uh, I woke up uh, about three or four weeks later. Anyway, well, I jumped ahead of myself. Play back up a little bit. I'm going to tell you how this kind of laid out was because I woke, they rushed me down this hall and I remember them saying code blue and, 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 oh, I could feel myself like trying to push out of myself. Like, like I was trying to leave me and I'm like, no, no, I, I, you know, I'm trying to grab onto life, which I guess was, I guess I would say. Anyhow, and they raced me down the hall and I woke up three or four weeks later. I think it was about three and a half weeks later, close to four weeks, to my mother's face. <laughs> she said, do you know what happened? And I was like, am I in trouble? Because really at the time, all I could remember was racing really fast in a car. And I thought I was running from the police or something, I didn't know. And at that point, I didn't know I really didn't know what was going on. They were trying to explain it to me. And I had so many bags of fluids. My mom says that she counted over like 16 bags and 14 of them were blood transfusions. 
So what had happened was I had an aortic dissection. And apparently it was one of the worst ones they've ever seen. And so what that is is my aneurysm on my aorta, your aorta is a valve that comes out of your heart and goes to every other blood vessel in your body. And it comes out of your heart, that arch, and it comes down your body like this, runs down your, it blew at the top and then it ripped all the way down into my groin. So I just lose the blood like crazy. And uh, sometimes it's kind of like, just takes me back to a crazy time. Anyhow, when I'm, I'm talking to my mother and I know, okay, let me tell you something. I know that when you're in a coma, you have really a weird illusions and dreams and stuff, okay? And what I'm gonna tell you about my experience is totally opposite from that. I had plenty of delusions and dreams, but I can't really, you know, I like, I thought I was being, when they were, when I was coming out of the coma, I thought that I was, that they were doing weird lab experiments on me. And I told my brother one time, I was like, when they were trying to pull me out of this, and then they'd have to put me back down and stuff. But I told my brother, you gotta get me out of here. I thought they were making <laughs> energy drinks out of my bone marrow. I don't know that even why, but I did anyways. And he was like, no, they're not. <laughs> but, and I'd get real violent. I didn't know what was going on. And I'd wake up and they'd have me all strapped and tied to the bed and I'd freak out and stuff. So after I came out of the coma and I stabilized, I had a trach, you know, cause I, I couldn't breathe on my own for a few weeks. And so I had to learn to talk again and stuff. At that point, I was talking to my, I was, I was talking to my mother and she was kind of telling me some things, what happened and you know. Anyhow, she told me that Nick drove me up there and I'm like, okay. So once I got the trach out, this is two weeks later, once I got the trach out, I called my friend Nick and uh, told him, you know, like I happened and he was saying my life for getting me there in time and stuff anyways. So he was like, you gotta tell me what happened. I was like, well, you know what happened. He was like, no, mate, no, something weird happened there. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, then what happened before that you went into the surgery? And I was like, man. So he goes, I don't know, dude, it was like this. When they threw you on there, they said, rolling you away, you gave me that, your, my, the phone to get all your family. I just started hearing you yell for your dad. See, now my dad had died one year before this. And he said, I heard you yelling for your dad. You're like, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And he said, then I heard you say, oh my God, I'm, I'm with Satan. Somebody help me. I'm with Satan. And, and he goes, and then you screamed out, Jesus saved me. And he said, the entire hospital like went silent. He goes, it's weird. He goes, but I thought you died in that home. I didn't know. He goes, and I ran back there. <clears throat> and at that point, uh, they stopped me and they said, you can't be back here, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I, and I didn't know what happened. And next thing you know, you know, so a lot of people didn't know if I lived or died anyways. But anyway, so what, once he told me that, it, it hit me like, it just flooded over me and what happened to me. And all my memory came back like that. Now here's why earlier when I said, I know that you have delusions and stuff. There's a difference between what I'm gonna share here and then the weird dreams that I had. And uh, it, it, they were like dreams, you know? And when you have dreams, you can't hang on to those things like the detail I have of this experience. 
Okay, that's why I know that this stuff's real. So when he told me that, it all came back to me. I couldn't even talk to him on the phone anymore. I just, I gave him the phone to my family. I was like, talk, and I, and I cried. I mean, I just cried probably for an hour. I mean, I could not, every time I tried to tell somebody what happened, I was just emotional, just bam. It was crazy. But I finally got it out. And here's what happened. So I knew that I was I was dying and, and I was trying to cross over like I was leaving this realm. And I was starting to freak out. And I my dad had died and I was yelling out for my dad. I was thinking, oh my God, I'm crossing over. Somebody somebody meet me. I don't I, you know, I'm freaking out. And I didn't see my dad, I don't I don't know. And all of a sudden everything went black. And I was in this dark void. And I don't know why I said I, I could I see Satan. I have no clue. I don't remember seeing Satan. I just know I was in a really bad place. I was in that not a good spot. And it was, oh my God, it was so cold. And I was cold on the inside going out like blankets that wasn't gonna warm me up. I was like, it was, it was just dark. And there was this black goo that would just drip like you could see them and just make this sludgy sound, just dropping. And there was a negative presence. And I don't know if it was like, it felt like the sin of the world or or my sin or my negativeness or whatever you want to call it, I don't know. But it was pushing me down and it had like a ridiculous amount of like chi force. So like, you know when you hit that dip when you go down the roller coaster and you're like, well, can take that, multiply it by about a thousand. That's what it feels like. I just being pushed down. And the only thing I could think of at the time was Jesus saved me. And I mean, I wasn't a church goer, a Bible. Thump. I didn't. I just was. I just reached out for what was going to work. I I worked with. I didn't. I just. I just let you the I guess. And as soon as I said that, it was so weird because I'm surrounded in this darkness, this little tiny, like little spark lit up in the corner of right here, right here, in the corner of my eye on the right side. And it was like, you know, if you lit a piece of notebook paper and it goes, that's what it did. It went, and it was like a little, like a little match. And then it just went, and it pushed all the darkness out. And I was engulfed in this, bright <clears throat> light of like warm and love and I remember thinking oh, oh I made it I, I'm, I I remember feeling like I'm, I'm safe I'm home I'm cool oh and it was like it, I said, this light cradled me it was like and I'm like oh my god I made it and I remember I was like looking down this uh as, as i as i was understanding like i'm like i'm out of the darkness that that whole negative thing was gone and i felt lifted up like oh and as i started to look in not or look in but really kind of like my eyes focused on the light it went deep it was not only huge it went deep and and uh like i say it it felt like like I'd be, like if you wet your pants, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. 
It's how the, the warmth just came over. And as I looked into the into this light, I could see these other lights of different like colors, and they were like moving around. And the, the colors that I saw, there was the spectrum that we see, but there was these other colors that I can't even give them names because I've never. I can't say it was orange because it. It's a different color that I've never seen before and I can't explain it. And they're very bright, metallic. There was, I guess, uh, it had a metallicish look to it too. And anyways, these colors that were just amazing. And I'm like, whoa. And then those colors, I started to realize they were mingling. They were inter intertwining with each other, kind of like, and as I looked and focused, colors were souls or spirits, or they were other people. They had human faces. I didn't recognize anybody. I didn't recognize one person. I knew everybody. I knew every person there, and they knew me. And they were like welcoming. It's like they were all in harmony, like in this rejoicing, like. I can't really explain it, man. It was so beautiful. I know I was happy where I was at and I was cool with where I was at. And about that time when I was like, oh yeah, and, and every one of these, these different colors and stuff, everybody had their own color. And about that time, this being came out from the white light, which was white light itself. Now I'm 6'5". This thing was... I had to look up to it, and it had, uh, it was just a silhouette, I couldn't see a face, or I don't know if it was an angel or Jesus, or, I don't know, I don't know what it was, all I know is it was goodness, and it came out of the flight, and it stood behind, beside me, and I looked up at it, and as soon as I looked up at it, my son's life went past, in my brain went past me, all the but and him having a life without me and i was like wait wait and i just i remembered i'm a five-year-old son I, and i remember saying please not yet don't take me yet please let me go back and boom i came back and four weeks had gone by now the thing i would say about all that is the when I looked into the light of the people, when you looked into there, you couldn't see. There was no lustful. You couldn't look at it with a lustful eye. Okay, you weren't look. These people were. These beings were beautiful, but not worldly beautiful like what we consider beautiful. Okay, these beings were beautiful in a way that is indescribable. Like you see it from your heart like and at that moment I, I you couldn't look in there and be like oh she's hot or that person that you can't do that it was everybody was on this every, they were all different but everybody's on this exact same playing field and i realized it was the beauty of that was intended like when a baby's born you know, most babies, 
they're all, they just have this baby cuteness, this beautifulness to them. You know, there's not judgment really, you know. And that's the beauty I think God has intended us. And unfortunately, this world has gotten to, it, it, it lies. The world lies to you of what's acceptable, what's beautiful, what's not. And as we go through life, we ignore that beautiful light inside us, and it dims. And some people's dims worse than others. And I don't know, when I came back on this, I just see people in a different light now. Like, I, I, I used to be pretty, and I, this is hard for me to even say it, but I was pretty superficial. I was pretty, uh, I wanted a good ornament on my arm. I looked at things on the, on the surface. You know, even in the car business, I wanted it to look good. I mean, you know, I don't know. That's how I always was. And then when this happened, you know, I've come back and I've seen people inner beauty on stuff when I'm talking to them. And when you can get their light to shine on, you can see a person literally physically look have a different aura when they're really happy about themselves. So you know what I'm talking about? That 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 aura that comes on. I mean, facial expressions and stuff. But when you're sitting there and you, or when you're trying to be all fake and do all these things, you know, that's all worldly. And this 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 is so temporary. Is what I've learned, you know, this is so fragile, so temporary. And there's something much bigger on the other side. And I got a second chance. I was uh, really amazing. And when I, I, uh, when I woke up, I came out of my coma, I had these other visions and stuff, okay? Which were really strange. And I mean, I can kind of explain that, but I don't know if that is drug induced. But what I just shared was, it, I remembered it after I'd come out of the coma and, and, and I had been two weeks because I couldn't talk. And so my friend asked me what, what happened. And once he said that, it like triggered it all back and it was just flooded me. And I was like, whoa, you know. But before that, I, I had these other worm tunneling experiences. And so that were, and and I've, I've had a real hard time with these two things because, and I'll share these two things because I had two different specific dreams or situations that I think were worm tunneling through time and space. And then I also have the drug effects of things, okay, of, of being on heavy sedation and stuff, because I thought they were turning me into a cow at one time. Like I was having a vision that I snuck out of the, like <laughs> I put a nurse in a headlock because I thought, I really thought they were doing weird experiments on me and no one would get me out of there and they'd have me tied down. And this nurse, she was like, I remember her waking, kind of waking me up and she was like, are you going to behave this time? And I'm like, and I'm all, I got this thing in my throat and I'm like, because I'd, I'd start yanking stuff out and freaking, I guess. Uh, now, I don't remember any of this stuff, but I do, I kind of remember putting her in the headlock because I, this was like one of the last times. And she was like, are you going to behave? And I, was like, I just said, yeah, I guess. But she untied this arm and then leaned over me to untie this arm. And as soon as she did, I grabbed her and I put her in her headlock and I was strangling her and telling her to get me out of here. And then they put me out again. And then I went right back into this weird dream that she was like, come on, they are trying to 
do this, you're right, I'm gonna get you out of here. And I'm walking around and I had cow legs. That's the dream and hallucination stuff. But that other stuff that happened was before I went on the table. So back to back to sharing about the lights and, and all that and, and seeing my asking to come back. I, I had never seen like I said, those lights had never seen anything like that. And and I know I'm a skeptical person. So I try to find logic and answers to everything. So I'm very headset on that experience where I just shared what's actual real. Because it gave me, it, it, it enlightened me to see people in a different way in a, and, and, and engaging people totally differently. Now, I, I, and I know there are people, there's gonna be skeptics and they say stuff like, Oh yeah, well they got you on all kinds of anesthesia, that's your drug, it's a brain coming out. I get all that and some of it might be true. Now I'm gonna share before the when 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 I told the that being, I said, please let me come back. And I and I came back and it was to my I and it had been three or four weeks later. Now I'm gonna say back up a little bit. I didn't remember any of that until I talked to my friend two weeks later after I got my trach out so I could talk. And then it all flooded me. So I don't know when I actually came back into my body. I know that I code blue did They had to bring me back a few times. Anyhow, on the, the medical side. <laughs> and I didn't think I was gonna make it after the surgery. There's some weird divine intervention too because most people don't live through this. And it's the severity of mine is really bizarre. And Here's a, I'm gonna say one thing too. My surgeon, after I saw him, after I got out of the hospital and I did my first year checkup and stuff, I said, the man with the magic hands, and he said, don't, don't give me too much credit. You need to thank the man upstairs, because I don't know how we're talking. <laughs> but they had to freeze my brain during the surgery because my brain was taking too much blood they had to pump so much blood, they couldn't have it going anywhere else. So they thought I could have brain damage. I might not ever walk again. Uh, I do have drop foot and I left the hospital in a wheelchair. But I'll get to that in a second. I want to touch a little bit on that too. There was a couple other events that had happened too that when I first came out of the hospital, that was really bizarre. Uh, when I first came to, I didn't remember my dad had died at the time. There was just some events. Like I, my timeline was all mixed up. I was confused. but. Surely one of the things I had this uh, worm tunneling experience. And I remember I was going through these worm tunnels and there was just lights and colors just flying by me. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, boom. And I was in this apartment, right? And and like I said, I'm gonna say this. I, I don't know if this was drug induced, but there's some weird things that I'm gonna share with you that are that are kind of bizarre. Anyhow, I'm worm tunneling and I end up and I'm in this apartment and um, I'm like looking around and everything is a very uh, retro look. It has that, uh, that pea green appliances and like, oh, like pastel yellow um, uh, kitchen table chairs made out of metal and no plastic. And I'm like looking around. I remember there was a silver toaster, uh, but I'm like, where am I? And there's this guy 
<clears throat> that got his back to me and he's packing up a suitcase. And he's got blue jeans on and a t-shirt. And I'm like, thinking, where am I? And my, I hear my dad's voice say, well, son, you did it again. And I'm like, dad? And my dad turns around. And my dad's like 20, in his early 20s. I've, I never even knew him at that age. I don't have very many pictures. The guy was born in 35. But I didn't know, I don't really have a, I don't have any member of him looking like this, but he was very young and stuff and uh, had full head hair. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Dad? He's like, turns around and he's like, when are you gonna stop doing this sh shit to your mother? And I was like, uh, I know, Dad, I, I fucked up. And he's like, I don't give me that shit. <laughs> My dad was hardcore when he way talked to you. And he said, you did this because Darren does whatever Darren wants to do and fuck the consequences. And I was like, he's like, now you go, what you're going to do is you're going to come home and you're going to raise that boy and you're going to be a father like I told him, like I taught you how to be. Now your dad's got to go. And he shut the suitcase and he walked out. And I'm like, what the hell? What the? And then all of a sudden, boom, I went to this other worm tunnel. And this time I'm like uh, flying around and all of a sudden, and this is what this are too, this time, I end up and I'm in a, I'm in a big ditch and I'm with my dad and my brother and they're in these old war fatigues, okay? And like Confederate Army or Revolutionary War, I mean, they're like old wars, there's muskets and I look over at my brother and he's melting down lead in these little balls and putting them in water and stacking them and my dad's grabbing the balls and he's sticking them in the musket and packing it down. And he smacks me and he's like, you better grab a rifle, boy, and get your goddamn head blown off. And I'm like, what? And, and there's explosions going on everywhere. And I can remember, I can smell burnt flesh and sulfur. And there were screams and just total craziness. Like, and, and my first 4th of July, after all this happened, I had a flashback of this vision and I freaked out and I had to go home and stuff and I couldn't take the explosions and stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I've never been in combat or nothing. So I'm like, so weird. But it made me think like, I, I, I think, sometimes I think that life is like, it's like a tape measure. And when, when we come out into the physical, it's pulled out on a timeline, right? But when you go back, it, it all goes back and everything's happening at once. Even though we can see it, it's so weird. Even though we can see it in a time lineage time, in this big scope of things, it's just in this big roller and it's all happening. And when you're crossing over and stuff, you're experiencing things that have already happened or haven't happened, but they're happening. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense, but that was kind of a weird deal that happened to me. So when I came out of my coma and I talked to my mom and stuff, I was telling her and she was like, uh, I told her what the apartment looked like. She was like, what kind of apartment did it look like? And I was like, it was downtown Kansas City. I know that. And when you walk up to the apartment, it had a huge front porch. You walked to the front door, there was there was eight apartments. And I, how I know this, I, I mean, just the way it was laid out, I could tell. I don't know. There's an apartment in the front, an apartment on the side. There's, you walked in, it had a big staircase that went up, and there was two in the back, and there's four upstairs, just like that. And 
I said, and dad was in the apartment that would have been, if you're facing out, in the front on the left. And my mom freaked out. And she's like, oh my God, when I met your, when I met your father at the skating rink, him and his friend lived at uh, an apartment at downtown Kansas City. And um, she couldn't remember what street or anything it was on, but that's where they were living um, before he got called, uh, he got drafted into the army. This was uh, after the Korean War. This would have been like in 58 or something. I don't know, he was in the, my dad went to, whenever Elvis Presley got drafted into the army, my dad did too, because they were in the army together. So <laughs> my dad was actually in a movie with Elvis um, as a villain. Anyways, he got drafted, he was in the, uh, and then, this is funny about my dad. My dad had black hair, blue eyes, and he got drafted in with Elvis. And he told me one time, he said, when he got to Germany, women just knew album covers because TV was pretty new too at the time. You know what I mean? Not everybody in Germany had TVs and stuff. So when they go to the pubs, some women just would see a guy, a GI, and think it was Elvis, you know, especially with my dad's blue eyes and black hair. And he said he would get, he would get, they'd be like maul him and stuff, and he couldn't speak German and tell him I'm not Elvis. He said, so after, after a while, I just said, screw it. He goes, I don't know how many things I signed Elvis to. <laughs> He's like, I just signed Elvis Presley because I couldn't get him to understand that I wasn't Elvis. I just was hoping nobody showed up with guitar because I would have been screwed. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was really bizarre though because I didn't know, I, did, I just knew my parents met at a skating rink. I didn't know that where he lived and all that stuff. And it really smacked my mom in the face because she's like, you're explaining the place where he lived, where they met. So kind of weird. And another thing is, my dad got even got a time to tell me, go back and raise that boy like I told you to do. You know, because my dad was a hardcore family man. And so, you know. Coming back, you know, what's crazy is my son told his mother, while I'm still in the hospital, I've got my dad back. Meaning, like, I was always gone before. You know, I was always working or I just, you know, I would give him some like, oh, a bunch of thing here. Okay, see what it did. You know, even though I was just one of those dads. Now I, now I, we're real close and I do everything I can to be with him, raise him right.